0: To episode one hundred and sixteen of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the downright wacky. This week we are going to be talking about LA story on your I'll have a half double decaffeinated half calf with a twist of lemon podcast. I'm Mandy Kay.
1: And I'm Matthew Vose. You almost read out the old intro as well as the new intro. I didn't absolutely you? did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, I know those words. No, stop talking.
1: I really should have deleted them, shouldn't I? <laughs> Sorry.
0: No, you just wanted to trip me up. It's fine.
1: <laughs> I mean, we can do both. We can do both, <laughs> and everyone can vote on which one they prefer. And I think everyone's going to go something different. <laughs>
0: something different, yes.
1: Yeah. LA story Last Ori, as it's called in. France I don't know (laughs) Um, we've talked about Steve Martin a couple of times before yeah and and this is particularly a follow-up to Grand Canyon Mm -hmm. uh, released at the same time about the same city LA uh, but with a very different spin on things oh yes so how come you've never seen this one Grand Canyon I think we understood because it was much more of a drama um, and not the sort of film you watched L.A. Story, how come you've never seen it?
0: I don't think I'd ever heard of it. Oh, really? Honestly. Yeah, I really don't think so. I mean, I was nine in 1991, so probably not the target demographic. Okay, fair. And when I think of – before we started doing the show and talking about Steve Martin movies, to me, Steve Martin was father of the bride. Okay. Like, that's where I knew Steve Martin from. And so anything else was just kind of outside of that purview. Mm Mm-hmm. So this has been great, getting to see more stuff that he's done. Cool.
1: So a bit of background for people who aren't aware. LA Story is a 1991 comedy. It was written by and stars Steve Martin. It was directed by Mick Jackson and also stars Victoria Tennant, Richard E. Grant and Sarah Jessica Parker. The film was a box office success and a hit with critics. Roger Ebert gave it four stars out of four, saying the whole film is the work of comedy. That it isn't about jokes or a funny individual, but about creating a fictional world that is funny on its own terms.
0: So IMDb has a synopsis of the actual plot thread.
1: (laughs) Okay. You sound very (laughs) hesitant to say it.
0: Well, that's not what this movie is about. This movie is layered, okay? It has nuances. But if we're just looking at the top level, what are the characters actually doing in this movie? IMDb says... With the help of a talking freeway billboard, a wacky weatherman tries to win the heart of an English newspaper reporter who is struggling to make sense of the strange world of early 1990s Los Angeles. See, That's I mean, not it, what this movie is about. Uh, well, that,
1: that romance is the story of it, or the story in it.
0: Kinda. Uh,
1: but you're right, it is about people living in L.A.
0: Yeah, I mean, hmm. this, this is a statement piece. That's, Much in ooh, the way that good. Grand Canyon was. I like that. <laughs> I mean, and it really is so... God, I did not know what to expect with this movie. Um, because you kept comparing it to Grand Canyon. And Grand Canyon ended up being this, like, serious piece of social commentary. Mm. You know, and you had said this one was more lighthearted and everything. But I didn't know what to expect. and I was so confused when it started.
1: It is a little more lighthearted.
0: <laughs> oh, just a little. Yeah. <laughs> But by the time I got to the end of it, I totally understood what you meant because it is – it's a different side to a same coin. Mm, It's really what it is. Yeah. And it took me the whole movie to kind of get there. Okay. If that makes sense. Like I needed the whole to really understand what was happening. But – it's fantastic and i think everybody should watch it and i've already answered the question that you're going to ask me later i love this movie
1: and and i think you said something similar about grand canyon about it's when you get to the end and you see everyone comes together and you can sort of see the connections between people
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you can see what it was doing and talking about
0: yeah but this one did it better
1: okay um is it available anywhere over there were you able to find it
0: it is only available to purchase Okay. I mean, you can purchase it digitally. <clears throat> like, you can purchase it on Amazon, but you cannot rent it anywhere. Oh, interesting. It's terrible. Okay. It's
1: fine. Uh, um, over here, it's available to rent on Amazon. Okay. Very cool. Um, Steve Martin wrote... So, so this is, I think, one of the only films he wrote himself, so with no other writers, that is not based on a previous property. Like, I think he wrote uh, Roxanne. But that's based on Serrano de Bergerac. I think he wrote maybe a simple twist of fate. There's a couple of things. But again, they're based on previous stories. Right. This is his story. Okay. Um, Mick Jackson's director, a couple of interesting stars. What's your experience of all these people?
0: I had never heard the name Mick Jackson. But I looked him up and he's done a few things that I mm. actually really liked. Um, He directed The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner and uh, that great Tommy Lee Jones film, Volcano.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, he did.
0: then the HBO biopic about Temple Grandin that starred Claire Danes. None of these films are like the other, but they're all really
1: good. (laughs) Yeah. So, there you go. That guy has a bit of variety. Good on him.
0: Yeah. Um, Victoria Tennant, all I know is that she's not related to David. (laughs) That's all I know.
1: One-track mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I did look at her filmography, and I had no idea. Okay. Um, Richard E. Grant, Spice World, obviously. <laughs> okay. Um, And also, Doctor Who and Down Abbey. But when I see his face, I confuse him with this other actor named Steve Valentine. Okay. Like... I can mix the two men up very much. Like, I always thought they were one person. I think they're not. Okay,
1: yeah, they look a little bit similar. Yeah. I mean, they're very different. So,
0: people. well, but I think part of it is like just the way people age. Like, Richard E. Grant in 1991 looks the way Steve Valentine looked in like 2004. So okay. There's definitely an age difference, but their faces are so similar that. As I see them at various points, I'm like, oh, it's the same person, but then it's not. So, right, whatever. It. Mary Lou Henner, I know her name. I don't know why I know her name, but I do. Okay. That's all I got. Still a lot of TV. I'm sure I saw it, some of it.
1: I- I've never seen Spice World.
0: Oh. Mm. Good on you. Yeah,
1: I'm not sure I want to. I'm not sure we're going to cover that at any point, are we? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I think we should let our listeners d- decide on that. You know, we- we've we already got you kind of pegged in for two other movies coming up. Yeah. yeah should so we have. add Spice World to that list? I mean, if we want to do a whole month of movies Matthew's never seen, <laughs> you know, this, this could be a good one to add to that list.
1: We're going to start it by scraping the barrel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, d- there was another. Key person in this car, Sarah Jessica Parker. Basically, which of the girls are you? (laughs) Are you a Carrie?
0: I want to be a Carrie, but I'm probably a Miranda.
1: Okay. Is Miranda the the redhead lawyer? Okay. yeah, That's the one that's worth being.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I... Okay, so I didn't put Sarah Jessica Parker in this list because... Her part in the story doesn't matter at all. I don't really oh, understand why one- – so the on the version that I watched, the the DVD cover, the movie cover or whatever, was Steve Martin and Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. And so my expectation going in was that this was going to be like some sort of rom-com comedy, like super comedy comedy rom-com that was between <laughs> those two. How many
1: times can you say com?
0: I don't know. Rom-com comedy com. <laughs> yes. But I thought it was going to be about those two, because she was the one who was like front and center on the cover. And then she had such a tiny part.
1: OK, we're going to circle back to that point. OK. Yeah. Um, All right. Oh, similar material to this. I mean, it is in some ways an out and out comedy with romance as its story. But other than that, it's just funny about a place um comedies about la comedies about situations in movies can we compare it to anything
0: so i had to think about this for a really long time um i it did appear in all of those lists of movies about la the ones that i looked up when we did grand canyon Mm. you know all of those lists say la story is one of those la movies you need to see Mm. if you care about la you know whatever um But I can't think of another movie that's about a place that's quite like this. I'm sure there are, but we know I haven't seen much of anything. So they're not really in like my experience. So I started thinking about other similarities. Um, So this movie is very obviously satirical. Um, It has taken Mm. every possible Hollywood trope. About the city of L.A. and about rom-coms and smashed them all together into a single movie.
2: Yeah. And
0: there are other movies that do that kind of thing. Um, office Space does it about working in an office. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dogma does it about religion. Um, Cabin in the Woods and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil both do it about horror movies. And and so they're very similar in the way that they kind of just, like, take one thing and then they, like, explore it in every possible conceivable way. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's a good. Cool. Um,
0: and then I, I was wondering, like, there's also this other subgenre of satirical films that are more dark, like Heather's Mean Girls and Jawbreaker. And so I wasn't really sure if they counted – But they're in the same vein. They kind of do a very similar thing. So I've seen more movies that are like this than I thought I would have. Yeah. But they're all different in their own ways.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's hard to find something to compare this to. Okay. Mm. Mm.
0: It is. It really is. I, I don't know that any of these other movies did... As well what this movie did. Cabin in the Woods probably comes the closest. Mm. I think. But.
1: Okay. So let's. Next question out of the way. Hey, did you like L.A. Story?
0: Oh, my God. I love this movie. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> um, There were comments that he was writing this for a very long time. And I think that's the thing that shows. Like he was yeah. thinking about the side of L.A. that he likes, that he loves, that he finds interesting. No, Mm -hmm. interesting is not the right word, that he enjoys. So there is a lot of culture in this. There's a lot of joking about the normality of the zaniness of it.
3: Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Bob. I'll be your robber. Hi, how are you? Uh, Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Things like that. Um,
3: What do you do for a living, Raleigh? I deal in English paintings. Abstract or realistic? Depends on which way you look at it, I suppose. How strong is it, Harris? I give it a four.
1: So it's very clear he's been putting in every idea he's got and every thought he has about LA that he likes. I I had always thought this was a sort of companion piece for Grand Canyon. Two movies came out same year, same time, that were about the same city but with two different takes on it. I I think it might just be a crazy random happenstance. I'm not sure it was intentional. It was just he is the connection and happened to be in both of them.
0: I think it's the same kind of... um, It's it's the same thing that happens with us all of the time when we randomly happen to release an episode about something that suddenly has something in the news. Yeah, yes. (laughs) You know, we absolutely do that on purpose every single time.
1: And, you know, we're looking at this with what almost 30 years of distance to it now mm-hmm. he was writing this over a number of years and then had to get it made and then had to get it released and distributed and the same thing for grand canyon so mm-hmm. they could have been made two years apart and it's just it they happen to have been released in the same year
0: right yeah
1: and it sort of ended up at a place of the same time but maybe not but I, I feel like there are some comparisons that we can draw. Like, yeah, Grand Canyon was very serious dealing with the class issues and differences, showing a city that is on the brink of what would LA would go through in the 90s and, and how it would in some ways change its personalities and, and deal with the issues that were there. And the film was intercut with all those shots of helicopters and sounds of sirens and issues in the city. And this is intercut with the sun rising and setting and looking beautiful, and palm trees waving in the wind, and you know people roller skating down Venice Beach and so on.
0: Right. This is definitely an idyllic, like dreamscape version of LA. Yeah.
1: And and to be honest, it's uh, so I was there 2010 for a week, and and this is the LA I feel like I saw, with the okay. exception of the first night when I was in the hotel where they told us not to leave the hotel. <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> yeah. um, but after that it was great and and we did some of the same sort of stuff going to museums and seeing the cultural side and the interesting things about it this is visitors to LA this film Grand Canyon yes. is people who live here and have to deal with it
0: yeah that's a good way to put it I think
1: and it's interesting I love getting to see both sides of it through through these films um so for for you as a newcomer to it having seen it for the first time did your feelings having watched grand canyon impact your feelings or your the way you watched it this film
0: no i don't think so i mean like i said i went into it expecting it to be something slightly different than it was because i expected it to be like tangentially related to grand canyon because steve martin la movie 1991 Right. right? Yeah. You know? Um, and so I was really, really confused about, like, from the beginning, what was actually happening. Because I wasn't getting what I expected. Um, and, and so that's really what impacted my experience at the start of the movie. Okay. And it took me a little while to get to where it clicked. Hmm. And I totally got what Steve Martin was doing. Or at least what I believe Steve Martin was doing. Um, and now that I... I have that I want to go back I didn't have time I want to go back and rewatch from the beginning kind of understanding the direction the movie's going to take instead of just being really really confused at why there's a hot dog balloon floating in the sky
1: <laughs> as the opening shot
0: <laughs> yeah while they're doing stationary bicycles outside in the park
1: yeah the park that says no running yeah yeah Now, okay you you sound very surprised by that we do have that over here sort of free open equipment in parks that you can just go and use
0: yeah but i wouldn't expect it to be stationary bicycles okay those aren't outdoor things like bicycles are outdoor things stationary bicycles are bicycles for indoors okay
1: I'm I'm trying to remember whether we do or not because suddenly we, we when we lived in London where there was a part next to us that had loads of gym equipment in it. Okay. Or, or like these kind of machines, and I cannot remember if it was bikes or not. I think like I want to say it was. Am I just projecting it backwards?
0: Maybe I'm just not cultured enough to know these things. <laughs> I mean, here in North Carolina, we're lucky if we have metal bars up for stretching stations. Okay. <laughs> on trails and parks so
1: got it Um, i i think i want to talk sarah jessica parker after your inflammatory statements about her (laughs) (laughs) okay um
0: if they could have cut one character from this movie it would have been her (laughs) that's really
1: interesting so i think part of the point of this and part of what's good about it is harris steve martin's character harris harris Harris. Harris. Harris, um, marker, Harris K. Telemacher, which is one of those great sort of lyrical names. Harris K. Mm-hmm. Telemacher. Um, yeah. He, until he meets Sandy, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, he does not actually do anything. He does not drive any of the action forward. It's all him going to lunch with his girlfriend and her friends, him going shopping with her. He doesn't even get her number. She gets his number and then invites him out. And it's from that point on that he starts moving forward a bit and pursuing Victoria. I wouldn't say... No, Victoria's the actress. Sarah. Sarah. Victoria Tennant's character. Um, but she's kind of the catalyst to get okay. him out of a slump. I mean, that oh, it couples with him breaking up with his girlfriend. So maybe it's both.
0: Okay. I can go with that, I think. I think her character just bothered me. Okay. Like, do people act like that in real life ever? Which is an odd thing to say about this movie because this movie is so over the top anyway. Like it's it is outside the basis of reality. <laughs> That's what yeah. This movie is. And so, I don't know why she's the thing that I picked up on the most, but god, she couldn't sit still. She never stopped spinning. She just annoyed the crap out of me, and that's probably why I could have done without her. Okay, okay, but I get what you're saying. I mean, I mean, it,
1: it feels to me like a pretty flawless SoCal Valley Girl performance. I, I, and I, I think the fact you reacted to her, and admittedly, it's a negative reaction, but the fact she's actually evoked that from you is a good thing. Like it shows she actually did a good performance.
0: You're right. She did do a good performance, especially I read that this was the first role that she had been cast in where she wasn't like the mousy sidekick. Okay. Um, This is the role that kind of launched her into doing more quote unquote sexy roles. Okay. Um, So we probably never would have had a Carrie if we hadn't had a Sandy.
1: Mm. Because, you know, I mean, she's famous for playing a quasi-intellectual New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And she's doing a very, very good... Los Angeles Valley girl, which which I could, like, you know, she would not be out of place in Buffy. (laughs) Obviously a little more of adult, but you know what I mean? Right, yeah. One of the Cordettes? Cordelia's Well, I
0: think she's, she's, yes, Cordettes, according to Angel, Cordettes, but I think she would be more in place in the Buffy movie than the Buffy show.
1: True, true. Um... But I, I think her as a character, yeah, she's the one who actually sort of shakes the dust off him and gets him, you know, she invites him out. And then it's from then she's like, oh, let's go and do something because I want to see you again. Let's go to this. The, the whole piece with the restaurant is because she wants to go to that restaurant. And then because she can't, he can't do that, he takes her away for the weekend.
0: Okay, I'll give you that because the movie was better for the restaurant scene. Huh? Like that whole bit. And we wouldn't have had it without her. So I will begrudgingly admit, fine. She made the movie better because you're right. But I still think. Do you not think the sign alone would have been enough of a catalyst?
1: No, you see, I take the sign out. I I would I I, I like the magic elements of it, mm-hmm. but I think I'm so annoyed at the. Um, how Daddy is doing actually the, the <laughs> fact it means nothing, you
3: will know what to do
1: when you unscramble how daddy is doing. like it's just a, it's almost an utterly throwaway gag you know the, the film sets up this, and then the joke is it's when you sing do wa diddy
4: I know what it is. It's an English crossword clue. See, unscramble means you rearrange the letters of how Daddy is doing. So, let's see. Put the S in front of the H. Move the ing after the S. Put the D-O up after them. Swap the H and the S. And put the I behind the D. And sing, do, wah, diddy.
1: Okay. And the fact she gets it so instantly, I do not believe. She went, hey, move the S to the beginning. Move the ING after that. Hmm, maybe it's this. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> no, it made sense to me that she got it, though, because she's the reason that I figured out what it was. Because she actually played Duo Ditty on her tuba. Yeah, true. With her mom. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what it is. Um, I don't know. I really like it. Um, I'm glad it ended up the way it was and not the way they originally wanted it to be. Okay. Did you read that originally there was supposed to be an alien in this movie? No. In the first draft of the script it was revealed that the signs could interact with people because an alien disguised as a repairman tampered with it. The role of the alien was written with John Pertwee in mind. He couldn't accept it due to failing health. The script was quickly rewritten and the alien was written out.
1: Yeah. No, I'm very I'm glad, glad they didn't, they didn't do, do that. that. Yeah, because the, the fact it's magic in inverted mm-hmm. commas, it is it is something you cannot explain, a higher form of technology, whatever. Um, it it makes it good, and this is the sort of thing many films about Hollywood and LA trade on. I mean, La La Land very much trades on the magic and unpredictability of the mm-hmm. place, and and it really does work. A, a mixture of his. Uh, certainly that final piece, his drive to get her and, and keep her there mm-hmm. and the magic of the signs and everything um, is the reason she ends up staying and they end up, you know, I'm going to use the phrase live happily ever after. Whether that's true <laughs> or not, I don't know, but they certainly get together.
0: It has to be happily ever after because of the virtue of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it... <sighs> The movie went so far as to, like, change character personalities just to fit in the different tropes they were trying to do. Okay. So, so like, Sarah, her character, like, at first she's very aloof and she's goofy and, Mm. you know, that's what makes Harris kind of intrigued by her. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, a little bit later, we get this thing where all of a sudden she's grumpy and angry like, kind of – I'm trying to remember what happened that made well, – I just remember her being angry in that minute. And yeah. it was completely out of character for her, but completely in character for the caricature that they were doing. Yeah. So, like, the movie itself is not about the plot or the characters. It's about making fun of – All of these things.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There is a lot of this that is um, a series of sketches. It's a little Python-esque. And I'm saying that because it's got a Python in this. Um, It does. But it's got that kind of, oh, it'd be really funny if we had a, you know, everyone around the dinner table talking across each other. We can throw some jokes in there. It'd be really funny if we had a shootout on the highway, which could go, is an utterly pointless, weird scene. Um, we could have jokes about the ridiculousness of high fashion shopping in L.A. It it feels like all these things they wanted to get in or he wanted to write about and he's found a way to bring them all together. Maybe. Um, but you're right, to get them all to work, he has to change some of the characters, particularly Sarah has to fit whatever because that whole piece with her being grumpy is the fact that she didn't get the magic of it and she doesn't buy into what la can do
0: right so so, yeah i just looked back at my notes and realized when it happened it's when he kissed her Mm
1: -hmm. are you upset
3: about last night
4: no not at all i think i understand it my car started moving and 10 minutes later your tongue was in my mouth
3: that wasn't my tongue that was a lozenge my
4: mouth shouldn't be accepting other people's
0: lozenges right now and then he decides to like gird his loins and man up and do it again and she has this really weird line that's like
4: oh no i can't this is how mommy met daddy
0: i'm like what the heck is happening right now like that whole thing was just line after line of here's weird ways that they get characters together in hollywood movies and we're gonna put them all in this one scene
1: yeah and, and I mean, that line is, is almost telling. That's how mummy met daddy, because her parents met through magic. <laughs> Get in, in Um commas. Right. But she doesn't believe in it. She believes in the practicality of physicalness, the real world.
0: Right, yeah. Okay. Sarah just got off a plane right.
3: from London. Oh, oh you must oh, be exhausted. I am,
0: I'm shattered, but it's nothing that some sleep and a good f*** wouldn't
4: cure, as my sister used to say.
1: <laughs> that kind of thing.
0: Which is yeah, that's exactly where she comes from. Um,
1: the the bit that makes me think this is a series of sketches he wrote that he quite liked is when he's waiting for his girlfriend to get ready. He does a Seinfeld esque monologue about like, you know, the thing is you're doing all this busy work that's like you're getting ready, and so I think you're you're about to be ready, so I get ready, and then I end up pacing around, and and it's <laughs> the sort of thing you could just imagine someone saying, "Hey guys, isn't it crazy when you girls like you think she's ready, and then she's tried five more outfits on."
3: You know, it's my mistake. If I say lunch is at 1, then I figure if I get here at 12.40, we'll get there in plenty of time, which is fine. But what I don't count on is the 20 minutes of abstract busyness that goes on after I get here.
2: I'm doing 30-minute lips. Besides, they can wait. It's not going to kill them.
3: You know what I can't figure out is that you look ready. I mean, you look so ready that I get ready. And I get up, and I stand by the door, and I get out my keys. And then after I stand there about 10 minutes, I realize you weren't ready at all. So I sit back down. Ha, ha, ha,
1: ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least, you, uh, and part of that is because I'm coming at it with a modern sensibility. These days, you'd have to then do a joke of, and it turns out you weren't even going out at all, and you've not put any clothes on, right? You know, some extra kind of gag to to bring it back down. Um, but it really does feel like he's got. I've made all these observations, and I'm going to write some funny situation. Isn't it funny when everyone orders coffee, and they order crazy things?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think. I think that kind of setup for the movie is what led to some of my confusion Mm. because it really is, you're right, it's like up front, it's it's more subtle and it's kind of compartmentalized into individual sketches Mm. until as the movie progresses, all of a sudden everything starts bleeding together and instead of doing a gag and then another gag and then another gag, they're doing all of them at the same time Mm. in the same scene. And it just kept building and building and building. And it took some of that in-your-face stuff for me to understand what was happening. But when I did, it just made me want to watch it all all over again.
1: Okay, so let's talk about why you love this so much. I I am genuinely quite surprised at the strength of your reaction to this. (laughs) I thought you'd enjoy it, but it'd be fine. I think you made a comment about you were okay on it and then suddenly you loved it. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that moment now
0: (laughs) (laughs) so this is going to be one of my favorite scenes um, because it is the moment where the movie just absolutely clicked for me and it's right after um harris's friend not friend but her ex-husband tells harris that sarah's decided to leave Mm. and harris decides he's got to do this like grand gesture thing And he walks to where she's staying. I don't know if he walks. He might drive there. Oh, he drives. We see him. No one
3: walks in L.A. First stop is six blocks from here. Why don't we walk? Walk. (laughs) A walk in L.A.
0: (laughs) He literally kicks in the door. He doesn't knock on the door. He kicks in the door and comes in with this diatribe. And I need to get the lines out because it was the lines that he said that actually made me kind of understand what was happening here he says to Sarah.
3: I've been thinking about myself and I think I can become the kind of person that's worth you staying for. First of all, I'm a man who can cry. Now it's true, it's usually when I've hurt myself, but it's a start. You see, I know there's something that would make you stay. I know it. I know there's some move I could make, the right word, attitude, plan, but these are all just tricks. These are all just things I would think up and try, so let's forgo that. Let's assume that whatever that thing is, that whatever it is that would make you stay has occurred, that it has happened and that my hand has already gone down your throat and grabbed your heart and it." Ow. because there comes a time in everyone's life when it's now or never it's now or never let me read you from this book of poems oh pointy birds oh pointy pointy anoint
0: what was happening in this moment is he said every single line that a man says when he's trying to win back the love of his life in a movie mm-hmm. but then he actually says these are all tricks Let's forgo that. So, like, they're acknowledging that these are tropes. Like, while he's uttering these things, and, like, he does it without missing a beat. Like, they're just all spewing out of his mouth. And, like, he kicked in the door. He grabs her. And he's like, I can make you stay. I can say something that will make you stay. So instead of actually saying the words that he thinks would make her stay, he literally says, I can make you stay. And so when this happened, I was just like, oh, my God, this is more than just a comedy this is not this weird, randomly wacky thing. This movie is saying something. It's doing something. And then I could see it from this point to the end of the movie. I could see every time they were doing that. I hadn't been able to see that up front.
1: Oh, okay. Which is
0: why I want to go back to the beginning and see if I can pick up on it. Mm. Um, and, and I think some of that is just the virtue that when the movie started, it was more subtle. It was definitely, I mean, it wasn't subtle in the ways that they're all ordering these random coffees with a yeah. twist of lemon and they're and they're sitting at the earthquake. But it was subtle in the way that they were doing kind of like one thing at a time, one situation at a time. Mm. Until, like I said, they build up to like just this word vomit of everything at one time. And I just felt like it was brilliantly done
1: it, I, I think we've taken completely different things from it because because I think that might be the point where I realize he doesn't do anything he is not the driver of the action in this film right it's, it's always someone else making him go somewhere a work thing a like someone inviting him out and so on to the extent when you get to the end and that point and he's like I could do something I there is a grand gesture I could do for you but I'm not sure what it is. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to say that I could do it. And surely that's enough. So I think that's that's where I've taken a really interesting that he doesn't do the thing.
0: I don't think the point is that he's supposed to, though. I don't know. I, I think you and I do have two different reads on this film. Mm. Like, I see it as... Like I said, it's a statement piece on the state of Hollywood and... Reality versus what movies say reality is. Like, he got the girl because he said and did all of the things you're supposed to say and do in a movie. Literally saying the tropes, not actually having those things converted into a real conversation.
1: Yeah, he didn't stand outside her place with a boombox over his head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Trying to win her back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and, and so the, I think the point of the movie is, is the absurdity of what Hollywood says love is like Mm -hmm. and what Hollywood says Hollywood is like.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: And it's brilliantly done because it's, it's hilarious and it's, it's well acted. God, the Shakespeare references were amazing. (laughs) So yeah, I, I look at this less as a story. So like to me, I don't care what the characters do. I don't care if, there was a driving catalyst behind anything because the story is not what you're supposed to be invested in. The story here is not the love story between Harris and Sarah. The story is Steve Martin's love story with Hollywood. Yeah. And yes, how Hollywood makes him feel and how, even though he loves it, he recognizes that it's utterly ridiculous. Mm. I think
1: Is this a bit like bands making Christmas songs? Because they want to do their one great Christmas song and they're going to put their own spin on it. He wants to do his ode to this town he's moved to that he loves.
0: I think so. Mm. I read a quote somewhere where he said that this marked the end of his mature movie career. Okay. Mm. So he looks at this as a serious piece.
1: Interesting. Because there's a few films after this I would still put in that category. It's sort of mid-90s he starts going and doing the lesser stuff let's talk shakespeare a little bit i mean i'm gonna i'm saying let's talk i want to talk to you about shakespeare
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i knew you were gonna want to he
1: references shakespeare a few times in it in different places in different ways we get the great piece with rick moranis um doing the gravedigger scene from hamlet we get the opening where he talks about shakespeare's quote about how much he loves uh los angeles Mm-hmm. Um, and we even see William Shakespeare's grave in this because apparently he's buried in Los Angeles <laughs> 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 but the the piece that I love is when he he's done this whole thing about you know oh you know I think you're ready I'm going to go and wait in the car because you're not ready I'm going to go and wait there and he, he, he does something about um, a quote from Shakespeare
3: sitting there at that moment I thought of something else Shakespeare said he said hey Life is pretty stupid, with lots of hubbub to keep you busy, but really not amounting to much. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing.
1: It's not a quote from Shakespeare. It's a quote Shakespeare put into one of his plays. I assume he is saying it's a quote from Shakespeare because he wants to tie all the quotes together. Mm -hmm. So you can't say, this is Macbeth, this is Hamlet. You want to make it easier for people to know where they're that they're from one source effectively um mm-hmm. and he, he paraphrases but he uh, about how life is full of lots of hubbubs keep you busy but really doesn't amount to anything mm-hmm. and it, it it fascinates me that he takes that bit of the the quote it's the second half of a pair of lines that are very famous quotes from a soliloquy that it is itself very famous to the extent it's the soliloquy that has tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps by it creeps in this petty pace from day to day which is a Hamilton line now (laughs) but it 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 is the soliloquy that the Miranda took this from and it's it's I I, I, I don't want to spoil it it's a great play everyone should read it and see it Macbeth has received some very very bad news and he is talking about how pointless life is it is the most dark depressive speech in pretty much all of shakespeare and it finishes with life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing Mm -hmm. and while steve martin gives us that second bit the first bit about the poor player strutting and fretting upon the stage that feels like steve martin He is a performer. He is someone who gets up and does stuff in front of you to entertain you. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got him in a film he's written talking about how pointless that is. And saying, there's no point to any of this. Why should we even dust above eye level? Because we're all going to be dead anyway.
0: (laughs) That's a little bit darker than I was reading into it. It,
1: yeah, it's such a strange line to use because it is so dark in this thing that's supposed to be really like, oh, isn't it fun? We should just enjoy ourselves.
0: Well, I mean, it. I didn't think much of it because I thought it fit the character. Okay. Because we had already had Harris say, you know, he had had seven heart attacks all imagined because <laughs> yeah. I was deeply unhappy, but I didn't know it because I was so happy all the time. Mm. You know, so he's already acknowledged that he's not happy, you know, and and so he's going around, you know, he's dealing with his boss saying it's too much intellectual stuff. You need to be more wacky, less egghead. So he's not getting to be who he wants to be. He's unhappy. And so it made sense that he would say this is futile. What's the point? Mm. Um, And I didn't know. I really didn't know the other half of that line so i wasn't able to put it quite to the level of darkness that you did but i so i think that means it's it's really it's double layered because it makes sense at face value Mm. but then it also you're right that's what steve martin is doing yeah it's
1: really bleak and i and i love it i love that you know kind of nihilistic god we're gonna die so let's just have fun anyway i'll go out Mm. with a girl who's 20 years my junior which, at least for once in Hollywood, they're saying there is an age difference here. Right. Normally they just utterly ignore that point, but it 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 stands as something different than the rest of the film is trying to give us. Whilst also exactly like I think, like you've just said, it works in the in the sense of the film. Mm-hmm. It just isn't the style that we're um, we're getting elsewhere. Right. Ooh, thank you for letting me go on about Shakespeare.
0: Yeah. Well, can we talk about Rick Moranis for a second? Absolutely. Because that was amazing. Yeah. I was so <laughs> utterly delighted by it. <laughs>
1: I am baffled by his accent. I think he's meant to be British. Want to know how long it takes a body to rot? Boy, do we. Well, if they're not already rotten before they die.
3: Eight or nine years. Some of them Beverly Hills women, though, they'll last you 12 years, they will. How come?
1: Well, the skin is so tan. It's all stretched and polished up like a bloody shoe. That'll keep the water out. And what is the thing that'll ruin a perfectly good dead body, it will.
0: Yes. Uh, I actually wondered how he felt trying to do that accent in front of Victoria Tennant. Right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is he doing this on purpose? Is he nervous and that's why he can't get it right? Like, what is actually happening right now? Yeah. But he, he was consistently bad with it. That's true. The whole way through. That's true. And it, it just, I don't know, it, it delighted my heart. It did. Like I didn't quite recognize what was happening at first. Okay. And then I, I had already noticed that there had been several different Shakespeare references, obviously. And then I'm like, why is there a grave digger? And I was like, why is Rick Moranis in this? And then he started talking, and I recognized the lines, and right. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's York. And then he actually pulled the skull out, and oh, now
1: here's a bloke that's been around for thirty five
3: years. I bet. Who was he? Uh, that is the magician, the Great Blunderman. Not so great now, is he? Great blunderman. I knew him. He was a funny guy. He taught me magic.
4: A fellow of infinite jest?
1: Yeah. That's it.
4: He hath borne me on his back a thousand
0: times?
1: She knows. She's got it.
0: (laughs) I loved it. I loved it.
1: I, I do quite like and this is the way I read the film and what it's doing that things like that are just the kind of jokes you do in life mm-hmm. it, it, the, the point where, where it, so I'm going to go to the other scene where they're all ordering coffee and the joke is someone's ordering coffee, someone's ordering half calf, someone's ordering decaf, someone's ordering coffee ice cream I'll have a decaf coffee
0: I'll have a decaf espresso. I'll
3: have a double decaf cappuccino. Do you have any decaffeinated coffee ice cream? I'll have a half double decaffeinated
1: yes. half cap with a twist, a twist
4: of lemon. I'll
1: have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll
4: have a twist of lemon. Please.
1: I'll have a twist of lemon. And it's it's a little ridiculous in they're all ordering something different and a bit, uh, you know, non standard. I don't know. Right. And then it comes to Steve Martin who then turns it up to 11 and goes a half calf, double decaf, decaffeinated calf. with with a twist of lemon so it's it's, you know he's making fun of them but in the sort of fun friendly way you do and I think all through the film that's effectively what's happening is it's just people making jokes and people having Mm -hmm. fun but the film also sets it up a little bit like this is what they normally do right you know usually a film well usually a film doesn't do this this is the sort of thing that you do on TV when you get to know the characters more it's more overt when he's in the museum and he talks about He finds himself showing off in front of her. And then they're in the museum and he does his whole piece about the painting.
0: (laughs) I love that scene. I was sitting there thinking, okay, they're deliberately not showing us this painting. I need to see this painting that he's talking about because this is just amazing. Yeah. And
1: having said, I find myself showing off around you. And then you're having a bit later where he's just doing this long... Again, quasi intellectual thing about you know all the onlookers and the way he's holding her and it's kind of dirty and I feel myself aroused by this painting and and it everyone else just stood there going okay 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 (laughs) it's it's wonderful
0: yeah no it was absolutely wonderful like I want friends like that in my life Mm. who just make things fun
1: I, I will admit I have done that joke in a museum. Again, with friends I was showing off in front of. Right. <laughs> so it was exactly the place. And there was a big Rothko on the wall. It's like, oh, I love the way he's holding her.
0: <laughs> but have you ever roller skated in a museum?
1: No, that's quite a thing. And, and I feel like that's the big kind of action set piece. So, I mean, the, the covers that I've seen are very often him on roller skates. So it makes it seem like it's this big wacky thing all the way through. Mm-hmm. It happens a couple of times.
0: Yeah but it happens more than once so it is yeah it's clearly something that he enjoys doing yeah and, and when, he does often in his life
1: when they're editing the videotapes they've got tapes that say like V&A London and stuff they have been around yeah. doing this yeah
0: I think it's delightful
1: hmm. and and even just the the line from Richard E. Grant hey have you been to the Guggenheim I mean that's good because yes it is a slope and it goes down <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. So I was really glad that Steve Martin's character explained the joke. He's like, yeah, I understand that joke. Here's why.
1: Yeah, I feel like in the right For the people like me. Yeah, he well, he knows that there are things in here that people won't necessarily pick up on. Right. So he does make it more accessible. Again, by paraphrasing the Shakespeare, by explaining the jokes in some places. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he, he's not made... I, I think without them, you would have had people saying this is great, but it is a fairly snobbish sort of... Uh, delivery mm, of a yeah. film, only, you know, it's a bit more niche than the norm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And good, you know, you want to make entertainment that lots of people see.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. Um, we, we are firmly in our favourite pieces now, so what else did you love in this? What were moments that absolutely stood out for you?
0: She said, keep thinking, thinking I'm a grown-up. Grown up, <laughs> right. That is every day of my life. <laughs> I am 36 and I don't feel a day over 34? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, it just, it, it was a deeply relatable line. How about that?
1: And, and what's what's the context for her saying that? It's something really oh. innocuous.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I, it, I think it's the dinner sequence.
0: It is. They're sitting at the, the table.
1: Is it just her taking everything out of her bag?
0: Oh, she just spilled her water or something okay. and she offered her a napkin. Yeah.
1: It's just, a, it's a small moment, but he's got this line that he really likes and has found a mm-hmm. place to put it. Yep. Mm.
0: Um, and then immediately following the line, I think I'm a Grinna, but I'm not, starts the coffee scene.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it's, it was just inserted in there. Um, but it was deeply relatable. So I liked it. His kind of real life anti-voicemail. Okay. <laughs> he answers the phone. Hello, this is Harris. I'm in right now, so you can talk to me personally. Please start talking at the sound of the beep. And then he plays a beep. <laughs> I would absolutely do that. It's just
1: ridiculous. Like, it is yeah, ridiculous. yeah, but he goes but through I for this weird it. gag.
0: I love I would absolutely do that. Oh, it's like answering the phone, you know, that that prank way, you've reached the county morgue, you kill him, we chill him. Yeah. You know, there there are like all these different things. It's exactly that same kind of gag. It's just less crude i think yeah and it's slightly more effort and that's why i like it and i would i would 100 percent do that if i had thought of it
1: nice that's I, why i like I've, it i've heard the voice of the answering machine when he's trying to do the voice control i think i saw a thing that that's robert picardo who was the doctor in voyager but i've not gone back to listen and, and check
0: okay interesting mm. Um, I also really, really like the rapping waiter. Oh, really? I did. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. Um, I think it's just because I really enjoy the lyrical cadence. Okay. Um, of some raps, and he just did that one so well.
1: Yeah. Would you like to hear
4: our specials? I'm gonna tell you what we got to eat We got primavera pasta, six different kinds of meat We got side cuts, end cuts covered with a goo called hollandaise, baronades, and we can broil it too
0: My ears were happy to listen to it It's, it's a well-written verse? hmm uh,
1: Like, that's a level of ridiculousness <laughs>
0: <laughs> It is! It absolutely is But it was pleasing to my ear okay, And I noticed it, it. Yeah. that's all
1: That whole restaurant sequence is a great thing for how how crazy things can be in this sort of fashion soaked town about what's new and what's hip and trendy mm-hmm. to the extent they they keep talking about it, oh we'll go to Lydio 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 <laughs> and then right? you see it written down and they they they've kind of built up that no they haven't built up there's a gag there because you don't know there's a gag there and you see it written down you're like oh the restaurant's called the idiot oh that's very good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it took me a little bit because I was more focused on other things mm-hmm. than reading the name of the restaurant because I was reading what the database was saying about the people. Right. You know, and oh, my God, Patrick Stewart. Yes. Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> um. So, yeah, actually, that leads into my absolute favorite part of this movie, and that was just the cameos that were in it. Mm. I don't know if they can actually be called cameos because I it was 1991, so I don't know how famous – Everybody was. Patrick Stewart, obviously cameo, but, you know, Rick Moranis, Woody Harrelson playing his boss yeah, at the news station. Um, Chevy Chase was in it.
1: Iman, one of the friends at the dinner thing, was a famous model.
0: Um, Wikipedia says Paula Abdul and Martin Lawrence were also uncredited with cameos, but I missed them.
1: Yeah, I'm not. Cause, so it's supposed to be Paula Abdul roller skating um, just after they've been held up at the, uh, they've been mugged after the Hard Rock Cafe. Mm -hmm. i've looked at it i'm not sure it's her okay Mm. (laughs) i mean there's no big animated cat with her so it's hard to tell
0: (laughs) yeah i patrick stewart though Mm. if you could have heard my squeal of delight when he showed up on screen
3: yeah let us make this easier suppose you get a reservation And let us suppose you come down to the restaurant and we honor it. What do you think you might order?
0: There were a couple places where I, like, legit squealed in delight (laughs) watching this movie. It was funny. It was great. It had some unexpected gags. Utterly ridiculous and absurd. But still great. Yeah.
1: And, and then, yes, yeah, so I to have, I I can't remember what film it was, but we have talked about the trope of the hostile French maitre d' in another film. And I said there was another film coming up.
0: French Kiss.
1: Was it French Kiss? Okay. French kiss. Yes, because we talked about the concierge. And I said, there's another film coming mm-hmm. up, and this is the one.
0: Oh, that makes so much sense now. Yeah.
1: And, and it, you know, to have, like, there's kind of a joke as well that it's, I don't know if it's an intentional joke, but it's Patrick Stewart this very famous Englishman from the north of England who's famous for playing a French captain playing a French <laughs> yeah. maitre d yeah, in an American film. But he's so good because he's so severe. Mm-hmm. It just works.
0: Yeah, no, he plays it absolutely straight. Mm. It's great.
1: And then, and then the rest of that whole dinner sequence, there's jokes about the size of the food and the plates and blah, blah, blah. But then to end on... Plus? i have floss. Died regular. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, there's one cameo that I very specifically didn't mention because I knew you were going to want to. Okay. Not really cameo, but like a person who did a voice.
1: Did I say earlier there's a member of Python in this? You did, yeah. but
0: you didn't say when or, or no. how. Yeah, and it's... So I, I left that one for you. Uh, you know,
1: Terry Jones, who plays all the women in Monty Python, or most of the women in Monty Python when they didn't have a woman around, mm-hmm. gets to play Victoria Tennant's mother. And it's just him phoning it in, literally, with a, oh, that would be lovely, dear.
4: Hello, mom. Hello, darling. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Are you busy? Yes,
1: I'm making 56 papier-mâché hats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it didn't even occur to me. Like, I was like, that sounds familiar. Obviously, that's not a woman. Yeah. That's a man doing a woman's voice. Mm. But that's all the thought I gave to it. And then when I read that it was Terry Jones, I was like, oh, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. I was th- like, Matthew is probably delighted. Th- this
1: is still just about the time that people were still being employed for having been in Monty Python.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what else did you love about this movie? Not as much as me, apparently. Well, no, there, there are...
1: A lot of very good lines. Just things he has obviously written that he's been pleased with or he's workshopped or he's, he's developed to. The, the, those masterclass courses that you can take, he does one about writing comedy. And, and mm-hmm. from the stuff I've seen, it is actually a very good course. He knows his stuff very well. Um, and there's so much in this that is just, that's a really good one-liner. That's a really good one-liner. It's the sort of thing you would expect from a TV show to come out of a writer's room. Uh, again, the dining sequence... At the beginning where they're out to lunch. Uh, And the whole build up of, oh, we're supposed to be there at one, aren't we late? Oh no, we're always gonna get there late, and then they're the first ones to arrive anyway. And even the setup for that with she's getting ready, she's contemplating a different outfit, and then when she finally gets to the car, she's in that different outfit. It's not mentioned, but she has changed in the meantime. But
0: And then she offers to change again.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he's like, Oh no, 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 I think this is okay. (laughs) Um But just during the thing that, oh, you know, yeah, that other woman whose name I can't remember, she's taking a course in conversation.
2: Sheila has been studying the art of conversation.
3: Oh, you're taking a course in conversation?
4: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I giggled at that, yeah.
1: And again, that's a joke you would do if you were doing a course in conversation and someone asked you about it. That is exactly what my response would be. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I'm going to keep calling Victoria, frankly, because that's what I'm thinking about. Victoria is is talking about how she's in Los Angeles to do a piece about LA lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And his reply back is, well, you've come to the right place. That is such a dad joke. And my dad has done that several times. And it's perfect. It utterly (laughs) works.
0: (laughs) All right. There's one line that I really expected to see in your list that's not there. Okay. Go on. I think it was a total washout. Do you even remember that line? No. No. It was after Sandy takes him to oh the the enema yeah yeah Yeah, enema and he says I think it was a total washout oh
1: doesn't it just clear your head I think they're doing it wrong
0: immediately I was like Matthew's gonna love that line and you didn't even make your list yeah the the whole
1: enema piece again it's just wouldn't it be funny if they went to have an enema as a date like no no well yes it would be but I'm not sure you find time for it in your film.
0: But you're Steve Martin, so Yeah,
1: clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the other thing, and this is not the thing I would want to finish talking about this film on, but the way he writes the Britishness of Victoria and Richard E. Grant, it it feels very much like a stereotype of British people rather than actually having known British people. But mostly when you get to the bit, again, that roller skating thing, and you've just seen Paula Abdul, um, and they're talking about getting together and her line is
4: just because my mother hunts with your mother doesn't make us a perfect match
0: right
1: that's utterly a stereotype of british like upper class living
0: (laughs) well but i mean everything else about this movie is stereotypical caricature as well yeah very
1: true (laughs) but it's just it's it's funny to me in the same way anything like that on you know normal sitcoms is funny it's just a fairly outlandish statement right but victoria particularly delivers all these things completely dry this is the truth Mm -hmm. like like the thing you said earlier this is how mummy met daddy like is it is it though (laughs) and then and then in that moment when richard e grant grabs her and kisses her uh, uh, and she even opens her eyes during the kiss and sort of looks around and then he Mm -hmm. pulls away and he's breathless he goes well how was that
4: it was very nice Thanks.
0: Right. Yeah. So she was the one who was the least ridiculous mm. out of all of them. And I think there had to be one kind of grounded character. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, she played the tuba. She played Dua Diddy on the tuba, on speakerphone with her mom. You know, that that's pretty ridiculous. So he gave her certain traits that still kind of kept her on par with the rest of the movie. Mm. But she was still... The one who, I don't want to say had the most sense, but was the most serious. Yeah. Because the things that she did, like the gag with her driving.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: You know, I mean, obviously that's a very, very stereotypical thing. Such a trope. But it wasn't, it was only addressed when they were in the car. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't something that carried over into any of these other things. Yeah that's all
1: the, the the moment i'm trying to think of her ridiculous moments and the one i can think of is when he goes to pick her up and he can hear this tuba playing and as he gets to her door and knocks she's doing the shaving a haircut two bits hi hi you play the tuba
0: and she has thing. to run back in and, and finish
1: it. And she, she hasn't finished it when he knocks. So she does a whole thing of like, <laughs> no, I don't play tuba. I mean, I was. I have been. I have done just before you got here. Wait a second. And she runs back in and just does the last two notes. And again, it's perfect because you can't not do shaving a haircut. I have forgotten
4: something just a
2: minute.
0: Ready? Two bits. Right, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's good. All right, we've been gushing about this movie for an hour. Is there (laughs) anything else that we need to discuss about L.A. Story?
1: Steve Martin films in general, I think. Uh, We've done three now, I think. Uh, Are there any more kind of of his more famous works, things that you've heard of, other ones? Other films of his that you think we should watch?
0: I think we should probably do Roxanne at some point. It's been on the list for a while. Mm. I I don't actually know what it's about. Okay. but when I was looking at the listing in Amazon, there was a whole list of other people have viewed these things, too. And it was there. And it apparently is the one where he has the really big nose. Okay. And I was like, that looks interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. No, Roxanne is a good shout. So I can ask you this question after Roxanne. We can see what else is on the list. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that is a very good one. That is a, a good rom-com.
0: Oh, good. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. Or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay.
1: And I'm at Matthew Vos pop culturally deprived is 100 funded by listeners like you through patreon anything you can give even one dollar a month it gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop new shows to find out more go to patreon.com eloquent gushing and don't forget to visit our homepage EloquentGushing.com, where you can find all those other shows
0: we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of pop culturally deprived where we'll talk about
1: the godfather part three
0: So until next time, I'm Mandy Kay.
1: And I'm Sandy, big S, small A, small N, big D, small E, big E, with a little star at the end. (laughs) Nice. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.
0: There comes a time when it's now or never. It's now or never. Listen to a poem.
1: Oh, pointy birds. Oh, pointy pointy. Anoint my love. Anointy, nointy.